Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Liz Feldstern in Jerusalem, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Podash in California. Alan, how are you today? Liz, I am great. It's cool in the desert. I think we're at a high of like 83 degrees today, which is marvelous. That is a good temperature. Uh, it is. 80s are perfect. I don't have the air conditioning on. I have the windows open. The wind is blowing through. It's beautiful. I also discovered this week there's a plant, a tree, a bush that we've noticed that's blossomed into very beautiful purple little flowers with lots of bees. And it's called a smoke tree. So as we were walking our dog for the past several months in our neighborhood, we've noticed these trees slash bushes that have looked kind of dead. Then all of a sudden, this past week, there are these beautiful purple uh, flowers or blossoms that have come out of it. The interesting thing is there are lots of bees that swarm around it, uh, pollinate. But it's just, I have to say, the, the flora and fauna of the desert of California is remarkable. Just every day, there's something new and exciting. But this one flower... It's one plant, the smoke tree, just reminds me of the value of the color purple uh, and how or the purplish, bluish color that uh, was very important in the early days of of Talasim, of Talas's, the need for that little purple. So it made me think of, of that today when I was walking and I saw the purple flowers. Uh, maybe I should yeah. maybe I should embed them in my talus. I don't know. Or see if you could make a, a fabric dye out of them. They'd have to be a strong, strong color. Yeah, I'm not sure, so sure we'll be lucky. Uh, so I've been following the news. There's been, you know, just a few things. Oh, Israel has just scored, by the way. Just for those who okay. are tuning in on Wednesday when we post this, Liz and I are recording while Israel is playing South Korea for third place in the under-20 World Cup um, uh competition and we were going to I was going to comment on it during the uh, podcast recording but I just noticed Israel scored so we'll come back to that so Liz anything new and exciting going on in Jerusalem so uh, last week we talked about how it's summer season and festivals are starting and all sorts of cultural events are being offered I had the opportunity to sample one of them last night which was a 90s themed uh, concert, which for those of us who remember the 90s fondly, uh, it was a fun thing to be able to do. And I think pretty interesting to see who shows up in Israel for an all English, all American music uh, tribute to the 90s. So what, what what were some of the songs that were played and where did it take place? So this took place in a small music venue that's inside of a kind of underneath a restaurant coffee shop on Bitzalel Street in downtown Jerusalem, which has really sort of become a hub of uh, of arts events. There's a there's a dance school there. There's uh, dorms of the Hebrew University. There's the Bitzalel Art School. Um, and so, and it was one of the places that I mentioned that was one of the hubs of the Jerusalem Arts Festival. So it's that kind of area. 
And can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. So I know the building you're talking about, and we rented an apartment there in 2000. So you're 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 on the main floor up above our apartments. So we rented an apartment up there in 2000 for a month when our kids were six years old and had a great summer uh, in Israel. So I know the building really well. It used to be, I think, where the the music venue is now. It used to be a hardware store. Hmm. Okay. I always think of the street uh, that's perpendicular to it, which is called uh, Trumpeldor for Joseph Trumpeldor, but it used to be called, do you know what the street used to be called? So these are back in the pre-politically correct days. Go ahead. It was called Rehova Gidem, which means basically like Gimp Street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, name for Trumpeldor was missing an arm. Um, but at some point they realized that wasn't a very nice name for a street. And so now it's called Trumbo Door. So, which I'm trying to imagine because the street that uh, um, I'm thinking of is Betzalel Street. And then you're talking about the small street that little shops are on. Is Trumbo Street? No, so that maybe you're thinking of Shats. Oh, okay. Which is what comes. So, but if you, if you were going up away from... Uh, King George Ben Yehuda. If you're going away from it and you pass the coffee shop, then the very first like street that you could turn on your left, so you'd be between that coffee shop and the main part of the campus. That street is a Trumpeldor. I'll have to check that out next time I'm in the neighborhood. So, uh, any music that you recognize? Any songs you recognize? So, of course, recognize all the music. It was, uh, you know, some Britney Spears, some Spice Girls, some R.E.M., some Brian Adams, some Alanis Morissette, some, what else did they do? I feel like Melissa Etheridge was a huge oversight that there was no Melissa Etheridge. I was really sad about that. I walked away and I was like, what was missing? Melissa Etheridge was missing, in my humble opinion. Um, but it was very fun. Were there a lot of people there? Uh, there were, I mean, the right number of people for that room. Like, you know, it certainly wasn't empty. It's not a very big venue. There were probably, I don't know, gosh, 150 people, maybe something like that. A lot of people for that space. Yeah. That's good. Um, so were people yeah. singing along with some of the songs? People were definitely singing along. This was a very heavily female crowd, and they were singing, they were dancing. They were also, right, it's people of a certain age that I would guess, people my age, are not going out on the town every night of the week. So this was like, okay, we're actually out of the house. Like, we're old enough to not care what we look like. Nobody was there to like pick anybody up. It was just like to enjoy the music. Um, and so it was a, it was a nice, nice crowd and nice, nice vibe. Did your husband enjoy it? No, he went against <laughs> his will and he. <laughs> I, I was waiting for that response. <laughs> yes. I dragged him against his will. He's a but... good man. He's a good man. Sometimes you got to do things that, you know, your spouse wants you to join them on. Um, I think we could go, we could continue talking about the selection of music and and why your husband felt uh, 
he was doing you a favor for going. But I'd really <laughs> like to jump in. You know, in the news, there's been quite a bit of stuff. Oh, South, uh, South Korea just scored a goal. So now that's mm-hmm. one uh, in the first 27 minutes. So we'll, we'll pay attention while we're recording. I'm not sure we'll have a response or a, a, fi- a final score by the time we're done. But I want to go to the judicial reform. I know that it hasn't really been a big issue lately, but I know that there's some decisions and some seats that need to be filled re- soon. What do you? What can you share about the situation that is now evolving with, with the judicial reform? And I think this is one of the key issues that the coalition is trying to change in the selection process. So things are heating up a little bit now because um, what is meant to happen now is the um, the choice of who are the members who will form the Judicial Selection Committee. And the Judicial Selection Committee is the body that uh, determines all of the judges in Israel. And right, so as you can imagine, that's pretty pretty contentious. And it's part of the whole this whole issue of judicial reform. I am the current law stipulates exactly who sits on this collect this selection committee. So until now, that's been like three um, judges from the High Court of Justice, uh, two ministers, uh, one of which has to be the justice minister, two other members of Knesset, two representatives from the Israel Bar Association. And there are also rules to maintain a certain number of uh, a minimum number of women amongst all of those positions. And traditionally, those two seats for members of Knesset have one been filled by a member of the coalition and one by a member of the opposition. And one of the issues that's on the table now is that it is not clear that that tradition will be followed. Uh, and perhaps the coalition will keep for themselves both of the both of the seats. Um, it's looking like that's a possibility in part because there are right now, as of today, seven members of Knesset that are all part of the coalition who have thrown their hats in for the ring for being on this selection committee and claim that they are not going to take their names out. And so when there is the anonymous vote, it doesn't seem statistically very likely that only one of them will get elected if there are seven that are all hoping to be. How, so that's, how many, how, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you, but, but how many, so if there's seven seats, how, so how many seats get to be filled? There are two seats that they're looking to fill. All right. So seven current members of Knesset are vying for those two seats. Correct. Which arguably should only be one seat. Right. Because traditionally, it's only been one seat from the coalition and one from the opposition. The opposition has their one person that they've said, this is who we as an opposition would like to represent us. Um, So do you you think that with seven candidates out of the coalition, that that'll water down the votes and secure the one spot for the opposition? I don't know how that works. No, I mean, if unless uh, unless many of those seven decide to take their names out, then um, it's not likely that one seat will wind up going to the opposition. 
Um, so that's one of the issues with the selection committee. And then the other, of course, is that I mentioned that there are two ministers in that group. One is the Minister of Justice. So that would be, in this case, uh, Yariv Lavin, who we know has been very outspoken and, you know, an, an integral part of the, the whole topic of judicial reform. And he has a very clear agenda. Um, and who the other minister would be remains to be seen. But that will also be someone from the coalition, right? That's who the ministers are right now. Um, so the, you know, what happens with this selection committee is pretty significant. Um, the, we won't know for several more weeks, the, the full makeup of the selection committee because the Israel Bar Association is also still picking their person. And I am, we don't know who the second minister would be. Um, but in just a couple of days, we should know who the two Knesset members are. And then the final hurdle is the fact that even once the selection committee is chosen, actually the, the minister of justice, Yariv Levine, is not required by law necessarily to convene the committee or to appoint new judges by a certain deadline. So if, for example, he's not happy with the constellation of the committee, he can simply not convene the committee in the hopes that they'll change the laws and reform another committee at a later date. Um, so that's actually something that they're trying to write into the uh, stipulations now that there would be a requirement that the, once this committee is put together, that it, yes, be convened and, yes, be charged with appointing judges by a particular date. So correct me if I'm wrong, but if I understand what you just shared and what I've read, uh, that this is really why the whole conversation around judicial reform has been so impactful, is that it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of uh, processes and policies to select judges for work in Israel. Is that, am I close there or? It, that's I... for sure part of it. And, and the major question is how political should the selection of judges be, right? If we build a committee that has, you know, before they even have any debates, a clear political majority of one persuasion or another, and that's who we're going to wind up with in terms of judges, and judges aren't supposed to be selected based on their politics. They're supposed to be selected based on their skills and their ability to adjudicate fairly and to understand the letter of the law um, and how we keep that process. Something that is apolitical is, you know, very controversial. So, again, this is just uh, another example of how Israel's uh, democracy or just basic government operations functions, and we'll have to wait and see how it turns out and if people are satisfied or not. My guess is they won't be satisfied. <laughs> um, look, we don't have to all agree, but if everybody feels like we are still somewhere in the range of what could be called a reasonable democracy, I think that would be a good goal. Um, I'm going to ask you to come back in, when we meet next time and to kind of give us an 
an update on it because I know that it's not going to be resolved shortly. But if I if I go back to my earlier comment, the whole judicial reform issue and the demonstrations that have been taking place for the past almost four months, uh, it's been significant and it's been impacting the daily life in Israel. It seems to have mellowed out a little bit, but there's still issues that need to be resolved. And I know you'll continue to update us on that. On another topic, I've noticed in the news this week that there's been quite a bit of publicity around um, murders and crime in Arab communities. If if I'm also not mistaken, if we go back to the previous government, that was one of the issues that uh, member of Knesset Mansour Abbas was trying to address during his time as a leader in the coalition. And any insights into what's going on? Um, the, the topic of violence in Arab society in Israel is a huge topic and the, the statistics and the numbers are something which have been on a steady upward trajectory now for 10 years. Um, and, and the numbers continue to grow. For example, right now where we sit, right just about halfway through the calendar year of 2023 um the number of murders in uh, arab segments of israel is triple where it was this time last year and we've seen these kind of uh, exponential growth in all sorts of crime and violence um it's true for uh, organized crime. It's true for gang violence. It's true for uh, petty crime and individual types of uh, violence. It is a very significant problem, right? The Arab population in Israel is 20% of the country. The number of uh, crimes of all sorts of different types are uh, in much higher percentages than that uh, committed by by Arabs. Um, and understanding the causes of this issue and how we can possibly work to change that trajectory is something that I would say each of the past several governments have talked about, but some more loudly than others and with different vantage points of what they think can make a difference. Um, it's hard to know whether the issue is having not enough of a police presence or not a well or sensitively enough trained police presence is the issue that we don't have enough social workers trained in how to work in the area community, right? There are a lot of factors that go into a problem as pronounced and as significant as this one. Um, and it's um it's hard for a government like this one i think to decide how they want to deal with this problem like where are they going to put the money right that um that they that will make a difference the way that it was being dealt with when we had a government that had arab parties in it was very different than now when they're on the outside and sort of being dictated to in terms of what needs to happen in order for their communities to to break this trend. So is there, uh, is there a correlation then between 
the lack of leadership in the in the Knesset to the rise of of the incidences? So that I'm not sure that it would necessarily be fair to say, right? Because the Arab parties being in the coalition the in the government before this one was somewhat un, unusual. And the upward trend of the numbers of violence in Arab society is something that had been going on for a long time and continues. Um, you know, to say that it's much worse now because they were in the government and then are out of it. I'm not sure that that's, I don't think that that's really, maybe it's a part of it. I don't think that's the main story of what's going on. Okay. Well, I think it's something that we'll keep an eye on. Um, And again, it's not an area of life in Israel that I'm too familiar with. So hopefully we can learn more about it as as it uh, becomes more of an issue. Last week we spoke about the shooting at the border of of uh, three Israeli soldiers by a policeman in Egypt. Any any updates on that investigation? I am. So there were two interesting things that I heard that have come out of uh, the the loss of those soldiers on the Egyptian border. Um, one which I think is pretty positive and one which is not. Um, The more positive one is that apparently the soldiers in um, the units that are serving on the Egyptian border felt like they wanted to see certain changes after this incident. And so they got together and made certain demands and and those demands were met. They asked that um, shifts be reduced from 12 hour shifts to eight hour shifts. And that was, you know, that was accepted. There were certain posts where traditionally uh, there was a single person guarding them. They said, no, we want it. We want to do it in pairs. And that was accepted. So I think that's, you know, that's very interesting. And that sounds very, very healthy that the people that are, you know, on the front lines doing the work and they're not asking to do less. Right. They're they're asking to to have two people there at a time. You know, the, um, they're, they're asking for changes that they will make them feel more safe. And those were I think were all accepted. So that was very interesting. And the other piece, which is less heartening, you know, in Israel, we have a very significant issue with how the ultra-Orthodox media does and does not portray women, right? In in not all, but many of the ultra-Orthodox Haredi media outlets, um, photographs of women do not appear. And... Um, and so this incident where we had two male soldiers and one female soldier who was murdered brought that up in a really interesting way because you had um, ultra-Orthodox publications who published, for example, the names of all three soldiers, but only the photographs of the, the boys and a, a, and a picture of like a memorial candle in place of the female soldier. And then you had other publications that didn't even publish the name. Um, wow. And that's a, yeah, and that's a tough, 
tough issue for a country that we say, you know, but these young soldiers are protecting you, protecting all of us, putting their lives on the line. And then it's not clear whether they can, you know, how we can respectfully agree to thank them and acknowledge what they did. Um, so that so, was, so yeah. was there, was there pushback from the general country against the, the viewpoint of the ultra-Orthodox that didn't recognize the woman that was killed? There was a certain amount of pushback. Um, for example, uh, you know, a Victor Lieberman, member of Knesset, who is a, often the first to be vocally anti-ultra-Orthodox, let's put it that way, um, he, you know, said he demanded an apology that you know, um, that this was totally unacceptable. And um, and there were others that, you know, pointed out that this, that this is a problem. To say that there was like major backlash in Israeli society, not really because the people who read ultra-Orthodox media aren't the people that care about this. And when people hear it, they're not very surprised because there is this significant gap in Israeli society that sort of each each side, right, ultra-Orthodox versus secular or non-ultra-Orthodox, whatever, um, already assumes that they can't possibly understand the other. And so when people hear this, they're like, oh, you know, not surprising. It's just those people being those people, you know. So um, again, it's just another example of the of how complex Israel is as a society. Mm-hmm. We are very <laughs> complex. I think, I think we should leave it at, at that. Um, just a quick update. It looks like the first half of the soccer match between Israel and South Korea is wrapping up and the score is one to one still. So by the time this airs, or we posted on Wednesday, um, we will have an answer and I will include that in the uh, in the program notes. I don't know if anybody ever checks out our, our program notes, but we do put stuff in there. Um, Liz, any other final... Israel. Yeah. Liz, any other things you want to share today or things you're looking forward to coming with the coming week? I, uh, uh, well, you put me on the spot. I don't know in particular, but, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you're you're always, you know, you're a visionary, so you always look to the future. <laughs> you are the only person that has ever put me a visionary in the same sentence, but thank you, Alan. Oh, well, with that being said, I, I want to thank you for your insight today, and I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been Israel Rebound, a podcast bringing topics about Israel to people around the world. And Liz, you're you're always full of wisdom. So thank you. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, everybody.